All right, good morning. If you've got a Bible, go to Galatians chapter 5, continuing our study in the book of Galatians, and just kind of, as we said, slowing down here in chapter 5, reflecting on and, and meditating on the work of the Spirit, and just uh, hopefully finding that to be a really helpful helpful guide in the scriptures to understanding who the Spirit is and what He does, how He works, so we might walk with Him. We're going to hear today. Uh, as you're turning there, just one bit of housekeeping. I uh, just want to just put this in front of you, remind you uh, pastorally. This time of year for us as a church is always a time where we see giving lag a little bit year after year. And so I just want to encourage you as a believer for your own sanctification and growth in the Lord, but also for the sake of our mission as a church, would you just make sure you're really, if this is your church home, that you're thinking about giving to the church in this season, just responding to the Spirit as He guides you in that and leads you in that so that we can continue forward in the work that God has given us to do. So I trust you'll do that. Thanks for letting me just remind you of it. All right. So as we are uh, studying the Holy Spirit, I was thinking about this today. This is, you can see the dog face that's been drawn on this. My kids have been drawing on the balloons. Uh, we were debating whether the balloons should be named uh, Balloonda or Ariel. Well, no, not Philip. Philip seems to be winning. All right. I think last service it was Ariel won that won the award. So as we're thinking about this, uh, Billy Graham famously said, speaking about the Holy Spirit, I, I don't see, comparing the Spirit to the wind, said, you don't see the wind, but you do see the effects of the wind, right? You may have heard that quote. If you're old like me, you heard it on old uh, DC Talk Jesus Freak album before. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Anyone under 35 probably doesn't know what that is. Like, ah, it's good music. You can check it out. All right. So uh, I always think of balloons are great illustrations. We think and reflect about the work of the Spirit. It's a great example of that because this balloon makes something evident. It makes the air, which is invisible, evident within it. Without this, the air is all around you, but you don't see it. And even in a still room like this, unlike the one you don't experience it, uh, but when you put a, a, a capsule around it, now through this balloon, we can see what? We can, we can recognize what? That there's air inside of it that there's something existing. And in the same way as we reflect upon the work of the Spirit, what we're really saying is that you and I are the vessel of the Holy Spirit and it's through us so often that the work of the Spirit is evident. You, like this balloon, make the work of the Spirit evident. And we want to be a people who make the work of the Spirit evident. George so wonderfully reminded us in our call to worship of that passage in 1 Kings chapter 8 where the Spirit of God has come down and descended into the temple that Solomon's built. And he read, starting, I think it was in verse 27, but earlier in that chapter, in verse 10, we're told this cloud, the Spirit, the presence of God, the very presence of God, the Spirit of God, descends on the temple as the ark goes into it, and the cloud is so thick with the glory and presence of God that the priests themselves, who are called to the duty of sacrifice and leading the people in worship, they can't enter the temple because the presence of God is so holy and so thick in that place. But don't you know that that text is not about an earthly temple that's being built, as we were reminded of, that that temple was a shadow of things to come. It was pointing us to Jesus, who would be the very presence of God in our midst. And then when Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, left the world, he did not leave the world and take God's spirit with him. He said, I will send the spirit, the helper, to come and be among you and to help you and to remind you of all the things that I've taught you so that when Jesus left the earth and ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, did the Spirit of God vacate the world? No. And now where does that Spirit dwell? In you and in I, not in this balloon. 
but in you and in I. And so as we reflect upon the work of the Spirit, and this chapter continues to be a reflection on that work, just want to set your mind upon that. You are what makes the Spirit's work visible quite often. That's why we want to know him, walk with him, as we're going to hear today. George, dude, can I just hit this over to you so it's not up here with me? It's not going to make it. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you can applaud for George. I mean, if not for leading us in worship, for catching a balloon. I mean, well done. All right, so what we saw at the beginning of chapter five and, and last week in particular, we saw that there was this transition that Paul made from talking about how the Spirit keeps us from legalism, which is this desire to, to, to make ourselves right with God through our own efforts, through our own works. And it produces this really, I mean, honestly, a miserable person, somebody you don't wanna be around, somebody full of judgment, spiritual competition, someone who is uh, moralistic, and just like baptizes all their own opinions into things that everyone must do. Is that a kind of person you want to be or be around? No, not at all. And Paul has spent so much of Galatians dealing with that issue, saying do not go backwards, do not give in, do not return under the works of the law. And then last week what we saw is he transitioned because he didn't want the Galatians, as some might be prone to do, to make the equal and opposite error which is to say, oh, well, okay, if I'm free from the law for my righteousness, then that means I can maybe presume upon the grace of God. Maybe I'll just live however I want. Maybe these desires that I find within myself that are ungodly, I'll just satisfy those. And as I do that, then I'll just call upon God to give me grace. And Paul's response is, no, 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 no. The Spirit doesn't just keep you from legalism. The Spirit also keeps you from license keeps you from being dragged around by those desires that are ungodly and do not honor him so that we avoid both of those errors. And so he's transitioned now to a discussion of how the spirit keeps us not just from legalism, but from license. And so we're just right on that same track today, okay? We're continuing that discussion. So last week we saw that he highlighted two things the spirit does to keep us from following our sinful desires. He said, he's gonna fill you with love He's gonna fill you with love and he's also going to lead you to serve. And I hope that throughout the week, one, you experience the filling of the spirit in love that you found that there was a new and deeper capacity that the spirit seemed to be welling up within you as you meditated on our time together in God's word. Pray that you found a new love maybe for people that, was hard, that were hard to love in the past. Hope you had your eyes on that. I also hope that you started to make a plan for how to use the gifts the spirit has given you to serve because that's so crucial. You want to not walk in license. You wanna not follow your sinful desires. Make a plan to serve. I mean, get hooked up with Bethesda Mission, one of our long-term partners, and go serve. Care for those who are in need. Care for men and women coming off the streets. Get plugged in with our children's ministry and disciple and raise up the next generation of leaders and disciples, followers of Jesus. Lead a life group. Get connected to, I mean, we just have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, but do you see that your sanctification and the Spirit's work in your life is gonna be furthered through service? Yes? All right, cool. So that's what we saw last week. And now this week, we're gonna continue down that track and we're gonna see three more things that the Spirit does in order to help us not follow our sinful desires. So if you find yourself in here today, walking in and you're like, man, I'm just caught in this cycle of I just keep returning to the same stuff. I just keep returning to it. And so you're in the right place. You're in the right place. This is the right place to be because we all have that same struggle. 
And so we want to yield to the Spirit more and more so that we have increasing power and victory over it. And can I just say to you, one, you're in the right place, but two, there is progress that you can experience. There is. There's, there's victory to be won. And this text is going to speak to that. And it's, it's a beautiful text because it's just three verses we're going to look at today. I told you we're just taking little by little, okay? Three verses we're going to look at that are just jam-packed. And what you're going to see is that Paul is both neither naive to the reality of how strong those sinful desires are. I mean, just very realistic. Yeah, these are real. <laughs> There's going to be times where we, we, we make bad choices. But also he's going to be, so not overly triumphalistic in that way, but also very true to form to Paul. He's going to say, but the, the spirit, you don't understand how strong he is. As you walk with him, it's going to change things. So he leaves us with just a ton of hope. So let's look at the text together. Three verses, chapter five or 16, 17, and 18, and we're going to learn how the spirit keeps us from license. So verse 16 says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now that's our, that's our big idea. That's our thesis statement. That is the, the, the proposition of the day. And I'm gonna repeat it for you because I need you to recognize that this is, not, this is not just a nice statement. It's a promise. Hear this as a promise. But I say, Paul says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify. Gratify means fulfill follow them to their completion, walk all the way down the road of the desires of the flesh. It's a good promise. One of the richest in all of scripture when it comes to this battle against our sinful natures. And then verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For, the, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, let's begin to unpack that a little bit. Instead, I'm gonna give you three things just from these verses the Spirit does very practically to help you walk not in license, okay? So the first thing is the Spirit invites you to walk with Him. The Spirit invites you to walk with him. Now you notice that first phrase, I read it twice. It's the promise that's there. It's the center of our text, right? He says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now that is a command, right? Do this, walk by the Spirit. Does everybody see the imperative, the command, yes? Do you know that that imperative, that command, while it absolutely is a command, is also an invitation, because God does not give us a command. Imagine if he said, walk by the Spirit, and he said, okay, I will. And then you came to take the Spirit up upon that, and he said, oh, no, I'm sorry, you're not welcome. That wouldn't be much of a, of a truth then to hold on to. So I want you to recognize that this represents not just a command, but an invitation to do this. Now, let's talk a little further about what it means. Because in this verse, we heard walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, we said, if you are led by the Spirit, that's a, those are parallel ideas. And then not part of our text today, but jump down to verse 25 if you've got your Bible with you because it's the end of this section. And we see a very similar phrase. In verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, in other words, if the Spirit has regenerated you, you've been born again, 
If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So three phrases, keep in step with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. What do those mean? Well, what Paul is getting at is not a complicated idea. He's saying, I want you to view all of life as a, as a journey where the Holy Spirit is taking you by the hand and leading you step by step. How many of you have ever been on a, on a good long hike? I mean, and, and just enjoy. Now, how many of you have done that with a really good friend? Now, hikes with friends are better than hikes alone. Would you agree? And one of the things that I always marvel at is how friendships are deepened by those hikes together. When you make your way up the mountain, down the trail, and you hike, maybe it's for hours, maybe it's for days, right? The same is true of road trips. One of my very dear friends in all of life texted me this morning, no idea I was gonna include him in the sermon. And he just texted me as I was getting ready to preach, said, hey man, I love you. I'm thankful you're my friend. Our friendship was deepened when one year, we were, we were already friends, but what, one of the things that like solidified that we are, we are going to be like thick with one another was that we had met each other in Chicago. He'd moved back to Los Angeles. I flew out there to visit him and we did a, a road trip up the Pacific Coast Highway from LA to San Francisco. Anybody ever done that drive? It's gorgeous. You don't wanna be the one driving because you wanna be the one looking and you don't get to look or you will kill your friend who's in the passenger seat, right? And so we did this drive. I just remember, I mean, like, it's ridiculous. We bought a Nora Jones CD, just two dudes. Driving, jamming out to some Nora Jones. I'm getting the name right, aren't I? Nora Jones, the piano player, really like velvety voice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just so manly. It's my Nora Jones buddy, all right? We are such tight friends, and that has was furthered by this just journey together. Just going on a road trip together, right? Which by the way, if you're single with no kids, do a lot of road trips, please, would you? Just get out there. Some of us, it's a little harder for us at this stage of life. Who would say amen in my stage of life? All right, fantastic. Some of you retired, you got your RVs and you're really living it. Yep, absolutely. All right, so I'm looking at someone who I know actually just got back from his RV trip. So as you're thinking about that, here's what the Spirit is saying. When it says walk by the Spirit, it's an invitation for the Spirit to, he's saying, let the Spirit direct your path. Let him take you by the hand. He's, the first thing you have to do to begin to experience the power of the Spirit over sin in your life, one of the first things, is you have to assume that you are in a personal relationship with him. He cannot be this sort of, distant cousin spiritually. He cannot be the sort of, well, once a year I experience something of the Spirit's movement. He cannot be, by the way, someone you just look to for like supernatural sign gifts if you're bent in that direction. But he also cannot be someone that you just go, well, he gave me spiritual gifts like leadership or mercy or teaching or whatever it is. He gave me those gifts and then he kind of backed off and took his hands off me and, and he's just kind of, he just kind of gave those and then he's absent after that. This is an invitation to view all of life every day as a, as a hike with the Holy Spirit. Just for the rest of your life. What if that was your expectation? What if tomorrow you woke up and you said, I expect the Spirit to take my hand and to lead me. I expect that. I, I, I'm like going to prayer and I'm assuming that underneath the word of God and the authority of that word, that the Spirit is going to guide me, give me direction. He's going to encourage me. He's going to convict me. He's going to redirect me. And I'm just looking for it. 
And then when I'm looking for it, I act upon it. Just one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten in terms of trying to, to follow the Spirit's leading and walk by the Spirit, as this text commands us to do, taking up that invitation, is to try, know the Word of God well, and if you sense the Spirit leading you in some direction and it's not counter to the Word of God, then just say yes and do it. And even if you were wrong that it wasn't the Spirit, it wasn't sin, and you walked forward as best you knew how in a way that you wanted to honor God and trusted that His Spirit was gonna be present in a day-to-day kind of fashion. I have found that to be tremendously helpful, all right? Tremendously helpful. And even at times where I would admit on the backside of that, yeah, I don't know that that was the Spirit's leading. (laughs) I think I probably missed that one. I don't regret doing it. I never walk away going, well, that was dumb. I just go, okay, I, I don't think the Spirit may have been leading me to do that. And lesson learned, but Lord, just I hope what you see in your servant is a heart that wants to do whatever you tell him to do. That's what I hope you will find in me. So now let me make a distinction between the idea of unique and personal, okay? When we talk about experiencing the Spirit as a person, a personal being, the third person of the Trinity, a divine being, what we need to understand and remember is that the Spirit works in very personal ways, but when you and I hear that, because we live in this individualistic mindset and culture, we over-individualize that, and we think the Spirit's going to move in unique ways. And the difference is this. To say the Spirit's going to move in a unique way is to say the Spirit's going to do something in his leadership of me and in his work in my life that he's never, ever done in another believer anywhere else. That seems a little foolish. Would I imagine that the Spirit is going to be so uniquely at work in my life that it's going to be different than how he works in my brother over here, my sister over here? The Spirit's consistent underneath the Word of God and how he works. The difference is that to say the Spirit does personal work is that that work is both relational and uh, invitational and knowing of me. And while it may not be unique in the sense that the Spirit has never done that with somebody else, it certainly is personal. And that it's also not, well, here's the list and just follow it. It's inviting me further into interaction with and relationship with him because Christ has died and risen and then sent his spirit so that we might be reminded of all that he taught us and led us. That's what he said in John 15. All right, is that clear as mud? All right, so let's go to the second thing then the spirit does. And I mean, we're making great time here, all right? But we are in the road trip theme of things. All right, now, oh, man, I forgot a whole illustration that I wanted to use about dancing. <laughs> Noel leads a dance studio. I, I will use it, because it's if, if at the risk of missing, mixing metaphors, if this doesn't, if, this, if the road trip thing didn't help you, maybe, how many think a dancing metaphor is better for you than a road trip metaphor? Hey, way to be brave and stick your hands up. There was like two guys that raised their hand for that. So proud of you guys. So um, where I grew up, most people learned a two-step, which is a very Texas kind of a dance, right? And you're all looking at me blankly, like, yeah, whatever. Keep it in Texas, all right? So we learned a two-step, and, and I started learning because I think my sister wanted me to be able to have a girlfriend at some point in life. And she said, there are so few redeeming qualities that you have, let's teach you to dance, Okay. So she taught me to dance. My wife and I love to dance together. So I always threaten Amanda when I do a Holy Spirit talk, I'm gonna use this dance illustration. You're gonna come up and she says, no, I am not. 
say, fair enough, all right? But when we dance, there's a couple things that always happen, right? So when you are dancing, you're two-stepping, I'm leading, right? And, and here's our dance posture, right? And I'll just give two illustrations of this. There's a way of you become so familiar with one another that you can communicate without communicating. So if my hand is on the small of her back and it's not pressing, that tells her we're going this way, keep going backwards, right? But if I wanna turn her, there's pressure on her back and a pull to the right or a pull to the left that tells her which way we're gonna spin. She knows what we're gonna do before we ever do it because she feels what my hand is telling her to do. Because we have a long history of moving the furniture of, out of the living room and getting after it, okay? We get, we get to some dancing, all right? Now, the other thing that happens is, every, just so I don't feel so foolish, uh, make an okay sign like this. Give me an okay sign. Yes, ladies, thank you. Like three dudes did it too. Good job, all right. So the ladies, uh, when you're, like the fun part is you're dancing and then you do some spins and stuff, right? And when you do a spin, girl takes her hand, puts it on top of her head in the shape of an okay. My two fingers go right in there and she spins around that. And when I want her to stop spinning, sometimes we have some fun and we don't let her stop spinning. Just keep going. So when it's time to stop, my thumb goes on the back of her hand. Not okay. And when that thumb hits the back of her hand, she stops spinning and then we do something else fun from there. But just the thumb on the back of the hand is all it takes. She knows what that means. And how does that happen? Through time and repetition. And it's not unique because I learned that from somebody else. Other people do that, but it's personal because she and I know exactly what that's supposed to feel like and what it's supposed to look like from time spent together. This is the way the Spirit leads us. He invites us into an expectation of a personal interaction with him, a walking by the hand, if you will, a leading in the dance, moment by moment, day by day. All right, thanks for giving me three extra minutes for that one. You would have gotten a different sermon than the last, and you know, I don't want that. All right, so let's talk now then about the, the next thing the Spirit does. The Spirit leads us out of license through that invitation to walk with him, walk by him, keep in step with him. He also keeps us from license by leveraging faith in the promises of God. Let me say it again. By leveraging faith in the promises of God. Now, this is what we mean when we use this kind of Christianese and we say we are justified by faith. And what we mean by justified is we're declared legally righteous with God by faith, which is a resting on the work of Jesus, adding nothing. That's what faith means. That's what justifying faith is. It is a faith that says, I trust in nothing but the complete finished work of Jesus in order to make me right, make me righteous, save me. But that same faith doesn't just disappear once we are justified. That same faith is active to then make us more like Jesus, to sanctify us. That same saving faith is sanctifying faith. And so you say, well, how are you sanctified by faith? And that's what Paul's gonna get at here in this text. We are sanctified, we are made righteous, we overcome license by faith. Now, let's talk about how that happens, okay? Look again at verse five, verse, uh, chapter five, verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit, there's the command, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I already pointed out that's a promise, it's an assurance, and we have to ask, well, how is it that he can promise that. But before we get into the specific content of that promise, that's our third point, which we're going to get into. We need to talk about how he uses promises in general, because that's related to how faith sanctifies us. So when we talk about a promise, let me help you understand how the Spirit is going to leverage the promises of God, and then 
let's use a couple of examples so that we can kind of understand it in a very pragmatic way. So if you want a good book on this, John Piper's Future Grace. I, you know, I, a lot of people have read John Piper's Desiring God, great book. I think Future Grace is even better, okay? Uh, so John Piper's Future Grace, all about this idea. When we talk about faith sanctifying, here's what we mean. That in Christ Jesus, God has passed down to us a numerous, numerous promises. He's made promises that are the result of our faith in Jesus, that they're ours in Christ. And then he leverages those promises by causing us to have faith that they're good for us, that they're true, that they will come to pass because we are in Christ. And the Spirit leverages our faith in those promises then to cause our desires for the things of the Spirit to grow and to put to death our desires for the things of the flesh. Think of it this way. If uh, there is a cupcake on the counter in my house and in the middle of that cupcake, which looks so delicious, this great frosting, great chocolate cupcake, but in the middle is a cyanide pill. My kids don't know there's a cyanide pill in it, but they want the cupcake. They're like, I want the cupcake. Give me the cupcake. I needed the cupcake. It looks delicious. I want the cupcake. But it's gonna kill them if they eat it. Is my best approach just to say, don't eat the cupcake? Isn't a better approach to say, here, I have the best chocolate cake in the world and it's yours. Enjoy. That's exactly what God is doing when he leverages, when the spirit leverages the promises of God. He says, I've got better cake for you than the one that's gonna kill you. There are these desires of the flesh and they feel so strong and they feel so compelling. And by the way, the devil uses all those desires of your flesh and my flesh to lie to us because that's his native tongue He is a liar and he loves to take the desires of our flesh and lie to us and say, if you do this, it's gonna be sweet. It's gonna feel good. The results will be awesome. And he is lying. It will kill us. But the Lord says, well, let me not just tell you that that's bad for you. Let me give you something better. Let me use the best chocolate cake in the world to give you a taste for the good stuff, not the bad stuff. The cyanide pill will kill you. The chocolate cake will just make you fat, all right? That's where the, that's where the metaphor breaks down. The work of the Spirit will not make you fat. All right, here we go. Sorry. Sometimes it's stream of consciousness up here. I have notes, but you never know. All right, so let's do this. Let's use a couple of examples, and hopefully... Hopefully what I'm getting at there is how God uses promises, how the Spirit is gonna leverage promises because this is what you need to learn to expect. You need to expect, this is why you need to know God's word, by the way, one of the reasons why. Because as you know it, you know what the promises are. And then the Spirit can take those promises. And by the way, the, the, the beauty of it, the beauty, beauty, beauty of the Spirit and the power of God is in John 15, when Jesus is talking about, I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna send the Spirit. And he says, the Spirit, even if, I, now again, look, don't neglect God's word. Go to it, know the promises. I mean, how much better to be able to leverage them. But even if I don't do that, here's the graciousness of God. According to Jesus in John 15, he says, the spirit will remind you everything that I have taught you. So even if I'm not being diligent, but I've read it, the spirit at times will still just bring that to mind, bring it forward. I mean, far better for us to be meditating on God's word regularly and know his promises, but isn't that the goodness of God? That even in moments where I haven't been diligent about that, 
he would say, have you experienced that before? Where all of a sudden God's truth comes to mind. And you're like, man, I haven't, I haven't been very faithful in this and yet it's there. And I'm so thankful for it. But don't, don't just lean on that, okay? So listen, let's use some examples now. So let's take, yeah, we probably got time for three of them, okay? So let's think about how the Spirit would then do this work of reminding us of the promises of God. So let's take, all of these are just examples of unbelief, right? And so if I am filled with the unbelief that expresses itself, uh, let's say as, what do I want to, I want to start with impatience. Let's start with impatience, right? Here's what the flesh is saying. The flesh desiring you that then the devil wants to leverage to lie to you says to you, take the shortcut. I know that it's a little bit unethical, but you deserve the thing on the other side of that shortcut, that promotion, that extra money, whatever. I mean, just take the shortcut. I mean, it's, look, why wait for God to do it or bring it about? Just go. Impatience and the desires of the flesh say, just lash out at that person. Just give them what they deserve. Just a tongue lashing. Why be patient in your demeanor? No, no, no. Just, it's gonna feel good. It's gonna feel good if you just give, just give it to them. You're gonna feel so satisfied if you do that. The Spirit says something very different. What does the Spirit say? The Spirit leverages promises like Lamentations chapter three, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. The Lord is good for those who wait for him. Maybe one of the richest ones, James chapter five, verse seven through 11. Now hear this, because this is phenomenal. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Now he's gonna give an example of a prophet, and it's not who you'd expect. He's gonna point to Job. How many of you read the book of Job before? brutal book, yes? Just the, the loss and the suffering and the difficulty. But look how God's gonna speak to this now. Look at how James addresses this. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, his patience. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. That word purpose is the word telos. It means the goal, the objective. You've seen the goal of the Lord. Okay, well, what was the goal of the Lord and all that he did to Job? How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I want you to wrap your mind around that for a second. That's a promise. Here's what he's saying. James is writing to these believers and he's saying, be patient. And he uses the farming metaphor. You can't control the rain, but you wait for it, the early and the late rains. The Lord is coming, he says. He's coming. Be patient in your trials. Endure. Then he points to Job and he says, don't you know that Job's patience was born out of the knowledge, was born, his steadfastness, was born out of the purpose of the Lord, the telos, the goal of the Lord being to bring compassion and mercy 
into Job's life. Now, when you read Job, do you think compassion and mercy? (laughs) And yet, this is what the Word of God tells us. Everything that God brought into Job's life was aimed at the end goal of bringing compassion and mercy to bear upon his life. If that's true for Job and the promise of God in places like Romans 8, 28, as God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, is there anything in your life that is not aimed at God's compassion and mercy ultimately expressing itself and showing itself to you? So you want to be patient and fight against the fleshly desire of impatience. Plant that promise in your mind and wait for the Lord because he will bring compassion and mercy. And remember, Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. That's what you can expect the Spirit to do. What's the Spirit gonna do? The Spirit's gonna take that promise, he's gonna plant it in you, and he's gonna raise up faith, and what's gonna happen is that faith is going to cause your desire to be impatient to become bitter to you. What once seems sweet, lash out, take the unethical road, now seems bitter, and the promise of the Lord is sweeter. It's the chocolate cake in place of the poison cupcake. Let's go to the promise. Let's go to, what the, let's go to the battle with pride. The flesh says, make sure others know of your accomplishments. Give them your resume. Think only complimentary thoughts about yourself or you'll lose all your confidence. Hide your flaws from everyone. Don't be vulnerable. Don't be authentic with people. This is the way pride speaks to us. And the devil wants to leverage that to light us. But what will the Spirit say? The Spirit will take promises like 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you hear it, church? It's going to get better in just even one second. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So here's what the Spirit will speak to you. The Spirit will say, no, 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 no. Don't go down the road of pride because you want the grace of God to overflow in your life and pour out. And if you will be patient, or if you will be uh, humble, the grace of God will richly flow over you. He's offering you the better food. He's raising up that desire. And the Spirit's the one doing it. But then look at what comes next. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may what? Exalt you. Now listen, he he doesn't have to choose to exalt you. And you might think, well, that's the opposite of humility. If I want to be exalted, so I humble myself now, am I somehow actually being proud because I'm just aiming at getting exalted? Friends, don't do that double talk to yourself. If the Lord makes a promise to say, humble yourself now, I will exalt you later, just trust that he knows the right way to exalt you and the right time to exalt you. Just trust that. He has said it, he's motivating you and me with that. God is not in error in motivating us through that promise. He's not saying, whoops, shouldn't have done that. That just made him more selfish. No, he's saying, be exalted just at the right time and in the right way. It will be an exaltation that will glorify me. It will point to Jesus. He'll be glorified. Trust that. So now what's the Spirit gonna do? The Spirit's gonna enter in in that moment of temptation to be proud. And he's going to say, rather than believe the lie that I need to exalt myself, 
He's gonna say, humble yourself, trust that God will exalt you. Remember this promise. True exaltation, true exaltation is coming for you. Do you want that? It's the better cake. That's what he's offering. Let's last one. Let's talk about lust. Let's talk about lust. The, the flesh says to you, turn the computer on, go look at that thing. It's gonna be really satisfying. It's gonna feel good. There's gonna be that part of you that longs for that. And boy, let me tell you that it's just, it's gonna hit the spot, right? Please go do it. What is the spirit saying in that moment? What is the spirit going to do to overcome license, to overcome that sinful desire? He's going to leverage promises like Romans chapter eight, verses five and six. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So as you sit in front of that computer screen and you're debating whether you're gonna turn it on or not, do you see what the Spirit will do? The Spirit will go, no, 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 no. Don't go there because I want to give you life and peace. And as the Spirit speaks to you, life and peace rather than death, what happens? The flesh becomes bitter and the Spirit's work becomes sweet and you gain a taste for it but you have to look to the Spirit, expect them to do it. Now listen, that's a really rich text. I think Matthew 5, 8, even richer, okay? If I had to compare the two, and partly because it's so short and I need short weapons, okay? Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they shall see God. I mean, life and peace, that's a sweet promise, but it does not compare <laughs> to the promise that if I'm pure in heart, I will see my creator. I will see my maker. I will know what he's like. I will gaze upon him and I want him. And as he becomes sweeter, the flesh becomes more bitter. Now, friends, that's just three examples, right? But that's what I need you to see. In general, the spirit takes hold of the promises that God has made to us in Christ, our faith in those promises, that they're good for us. He both infuses us with greater faith that they are true for us and good for us. And then he leverages them to give us the right tastes to cause us to love the things of the spirit and find bitter the things of the flesh. And that is a real work of the spirit. I can tell you're chewing on this. Just sit with that, okay? Now, the last one, and this one, that middle one was our longest one. So this one's a short one. Let's talk about this promise specifically. How is it? How is it that Paul can make this promise and he can say, look, if you will walk by the Spirit, if you will keep in step with the Spirit, you, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. I mean, that's a big deal. He's saying, I'm promising you that won't happen. If you'll do this, right? Now, can I make sure that we recognize something here too? There's a presumption here that it's possible to be a Christian who doesn't do this. Do you see that? It's possible to be a Christian who just ignores the Spirit. Now, I'm not, this is not the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, one with the Spirit, one without the Spirit. This is the difference between a Spirit who says, I'm going to be intentionally walking by the Spirit, and a believer who has the Spirit but gives very little attention to the Spirit. So it's possible to live this Christian life somewhat devoid of power, somewhat devoid of those changing desires, because we're not giving attention to this work, Okay. 
two things, there's two reasons that Paul can make this promise. And it's, these, it's this. One, what we find in verse 17, because the spirit is always opposing the flesh. And number two, because the spirit is stronger than the flesh. And follow me on this. Watch, look at verse 17 again. It says this, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And that's kind of how most of us think most of the time. We think, yeah, the flesh is always at war with sort of my good self, you know, with, my, with the spirit in me. But praise God for the next phrase, and sometimes we forget the opposite. So Paul's not, again, he's not this overly like pie-in-the-sky guy. He's acknowledging, yeah, the flesh is at war on the spirit. It's why he says at the end of verse 17, sometimes the flesh keeps you from doing the things you really want to do. I mean, sometimes the flesh wins. Sometimes there's days where we, we give in. I'm actually really thankful for that because if it was all triumphalistic and every time I should never fail and never fall, wouldn't that just be crushing? He's just saying here, yeah, sometimes the flesh wins, right? <clears throat> but praise God for this. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other keep you from doing the things you want to do. When you hear that, don't just think, okay, um, the spirit and the flesh just want opposite things. They are opposed to one another. In other words, the spirit that is in you is opposing every day, every moment of every day, working in opposition against the flesh. Isn't that good to know? He's at work right now in you to put to death things that do not honor God. If he's in you, that's what he's doing. He's not sitting idly. He's not sitting on his hands. He's not just kind of going, oh, good luck. I mean, just work really hard. Maybe you'll get there. He is at work right now to put to death the things that don't honor God. He's opposing them. He hates them and he wants to kill them and he's always going after them. Thank God. There has never been any believer throughout the history of Christendom who has ever overcome any desire of the flesh in any way other than the work of the Spirit. Never, no believer has ever overcome some sinful temptation, some sinful desire through their discipline, their intellect, their will, any other thing other than the work of the Spirit. And then joining him in it, working out salvation with fear and trembling, joining him in that work, yielding to him, following him. It's always the Spirit's work. So we know he opposes, he's there doing it. Praise God for that. And he is stronger than the flesh. So we might think, oh, well, maybe they're just equal opposites. But that's not true. And look where we find that in this text. So the first place is when he says, the flesh is active, opposing the spirit to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I already said that's a very realistic view of life. Yes, sometimes the flesh will keep me from doing the things I want to do. Do you see what else is inherent in that statement? You might just, it's implicit and you might just read past it. What is he assuming is your truest desire? The things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh. And sometimes we get that reversed. Sometimes we think it's the, it's the flesh desire that's the real true me in Christ, and that's not true. He says, the thing you truly want to do is the work of the spirit. That's, that's the deepest version of you. That's the truest version of you. That's the version of you that Colossians talks about being hidden with Christ in God, who will appear when Christ appears. That's who you really are. Why can he say that? Because the spirit is stronger than the flesh. And the last place we see that is verse 18, because there's this phrase you wouldn't expect to find there. 
Because in verse 18, he basically repeats verse 16 when he says this. I'm gonna find my spot, sorry. All right, there it is. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, so same thing as walk by the Spirit in verse 16. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not, and you would think, he would say, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't follow the flesh. But what does he say? You are not under the law. Now, there's one of two things going on there. I can't say for certainty which one it is. It's possible that he, because he's so adamant against legalism, that he's jumping back to that again, right? That he, he stopped talking about it in verse 12, and he's just kind of given one more jab at it. Because under the law means you don't earn your righteousness, right? And so he might just go, and also you're not under the law. But in this context, so that's possible. In this context, I think he's doing something a little different. And you have to really wrestle with it and sit with it. He said, why would he return to this phrase under the law when he's talking about license and not legalism in this section of the book? And I think the answer, I think the better answer is that what he's doing is he's reminding the Galatians of their situation before they knew Christ. When they were under the law, what didn't they have? The spirit. And because they didn't have the spirit, they had no weapon to fight with. But now they do have the spirit. And so the presumption is because the spirit is there, he will be victorious. He will work, right? That's why he can make the promise. Walk by the spirit, be led by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Be led, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, if you are led by the spirit, then you are not a person without the spirit present in you. You are a person with the spirit and therefore you have the tool that you need to walk in victory, to put to death the things of the flesh. So we continue to journey down this road. I, are we learning about the work of the spirit together? I pray we are. I pray we are. So again, we're seeing these last two weeks. How does he put license to death? Now listen, next week, we're just gonna go through the list that he's gonna give us of the works of the flesh. It's not gonna be pretty. This is what the work of the flesh looks like. And then, because I just want a whole week for nothing but this, we're gonna talk about the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and how the spirit brings those to bear in our lives. So just make me a promise, don't skip next week just because you don't wanna, you don't, you wanna skip that and get straight to the fruit of the spirit, okay? Everybody promise me? All right, cool, awesome. Some of you are like, I'm out of town next week. Leave me alone, all right? All right, so anyway, that's our journey forward. Let's pray together and then let's respond with worship to the Lord in song. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the work of the Spirit and how sweet it is. I just love studying your word with your people. And they are so, um, you just, yeah, Lord, I love seeing on their faces a desire to know you. And I, I am very aware that no human preaching can bring that about. Your Spirit must do it. So take your word now. In my life, in theirs, plant it in us. Take it and use it to just put to death ungodly desires and raise up in us every desire that is from you, everyone. So we'll be full of life and peace as we heard. We know your goodness as we wait for you. Help us. And now would you receive our praises? That's our desire to just respond to you and, and say you are good. Receive the praises of your people, King Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.